Anyway, today is Palm Sunday. Did you all realise that? So about uh, 2,000 years ago-ish, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And what a day it was. Millions of people. Well, you know, they, they debate how many people there were, but there would have been at least a million people there because um, the festivals of Jerusalem was, were a big event. Three times a year, people came from everywhere. And um, we know that about, what, 40 years later, um, pilgrims came rushing into Jerusalem at the time when the Roman army was there and they managed to seal more than a million people in the city. So we know that those were the types of numbers of people that turned up for these festivals. So you got a crowd of a million people plus and Jesus comes riding into the city and boy, what a day it was. And they were proclaiming him the king. Well, that's Palm Sunday. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that for a few minutes, but first we're going to pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're our king and uh, we love you very much. And I thank you that you redeemed the earth. You redeemed our lives. We didn't deserve it, but you did it anyway. And Lord, we give you our hearts. And I ask you to help us this morning for a few minutes as we think about Palm Sunday. You know, there were a lot of people that um, that declared themselves Messiah in those days, people that said they were the, the king. But Jesus was widely believed to be the king. You know, these other so-called messiahs, they would get a small following. You know, they'd get a few hundred people that would think they were the thing, the real McCoy, but it would never go anywhere. But on Palm Sunday, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he had widespread following. He had managed to convince society in, in, in generality that he was the one. Apart from, you know, the Pharisees who didn't like him, he had a lot of people on his side. If he had been anyone other than Jesus, if he had been one of those zealous military types, you know, like some of, some of the other people that tried to be Messiah, if, if they had been in Jesus' position, it would have been a very different event. Um, and Jesus had managed to get that widespread appeal because he actually was the Messiah. He'd actually done the things that convinced people he was, he was the Messiah, like his miracles and the raising of the people of the dead and his preaching of the kingdom of God. He had convinced a lot of people because it was convincing, because it was the truth. But they had believed things about it that weren't true as well. And so when he rode into Jerusalem on that day, um, he had the whole city, and not just the whole city, he had all the pilgrims that were there as well, shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as he rode in that day, he knew that in four or five days that he was going to die. He knew it, and none of them knew it. What a, what a strange feeling that must have been for him, knowing that. I would, I would think, riding into all the shout, shouting and realising they just don't get it, knowing what was ahead, Easter week was ahead and all that it would contain, it must have been really odd for Jesus. And, um, but he did it for us. We're going to read Mark chapter 11. There's um, four gospel accounts. They all have um, Palm Sunday in them to some extent or, the, or another, some more detail, others less. We're going to read a shorter version today. 
Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, I recently found out that's pronounced Bethphage. I never knew that. Anyway, I've always said Bethphage my whole life. Apparently, it's Bethphage. When they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those who were standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Mark was always short and to the point. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why people like Mark's Gospels. Apparently it's written in a very active style. And if you, if you like action novels, then it's Mark's Gospel is the action novel of the four. And he, he just gives you it in a punch. But he doesn't give you all the details. But in this moment, there's a huge crowd. And they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're throwing their cloaks on the road in front of him. And they're waving branches. And they're saying he is the king in as clear a possible way as it is to say this is the king. And there was a prophecy and... I think it's from Micah, and it said, you know, that the king would come riding on a donkey. And this is the moment, and they all knew it. All these pilgrims who had studied the Old Testament, they knew that this was the king riding in. And they were excited. Wouldn't you be excited? If you thought the kingdom of God was coming, you thought, finally, our Messiah is coming. This is the moment all the prophets have spoken of for hundreds of years, you know, right back to Isaiah, and this is it. Very, very exciting moment. So there was a, a long history of expectations. And if you think about um, the Jewish people, you know, they'd been slaves with, you know, in Egypt, and they knew what it was like collectively to be enslaved, and then the Lord sent a deliverer, Moses. And that was very, very wonderful that they were delivered from slavery, and they became their own nation, and they came, became their own nation in around about the year... 1,400-ish, and then in the year around about 587-ish um, BC, so this is like only 900 and something years later, their nation was taken away from them and the Babylonians invaded because they didn't obey the Lord and they had been, you could say, kind of like slaves again. They weren't slaves like before, but they were, they were subject to other people, subject to the Babylonians, subject to the Persians, subject to the Greeks, subject to the Romans, for all these years, 500 years plus, and all the while they knew what the prophets said, that God was sending a deliverer. 
So they're comparing it to Moses. You know, God has delivered us before from the Egyptians, but we've been subject to the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. All these years, when is our deliverer coming? And, you know, there's a lot of expectation built up and a lot of opinions about what would happen. And finally, Jesus comes, and he is, he's the one who's been performing the miracles. You think back to Moses, and Moses was the one who performed miracles. And here's Jesus, the one who performs miracles, and the expectations are really high. You know, Moses had smote the Egyptians, <laughs> all those plagues, and here comes the Messiah riding into the city. They were thinking all sorts of things that weren't right <laughs> because they were looking at something that had happened before. God had done things a certain way before, and they all thought that was how he was going to do it again. But he wasn't. He was doing something completely different. Anyway, in Psalm 118, which we're going to read a few verses of right now, that's where we get this Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So when they were shouting out on the road, they were actually quoting scriptures. I don't know if you knew that or not. So it comes from Psalm 118, which is supposedly the very middle of the Bible. And we're going to go read now from Psalm 118, verses 25 through to 29. We're going to read a snippet of what they were saying as Jesus wrote in, and also a little bit more. And um, so let's read. Um, Psalm 118, verse 25 to 29. In the version that I'm reading here, it says, Lord, save us. In the Hebrew, that's the word Hosanna. So when they're shouting out Hosanna, that's Hebrew for Lord, save us. So, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It's a fantastic psalm. And see the part there where it says, with bows in hand, join the festal procession? Well, that's what they were doing. They had the palm branches, and they were joining in the procession up to the altar of the Lord, and Jesus went to the temple. This was the, the whole thing in their minds. It's just like Psalm 118. The Lord has come to save us. This is the Hosanna. They're, they're seeing Jesus as their saviour, their deliverer, and he was. He was their saviour and he was their deliverer, and he was their king, and he was being identified as king, just completely differently to how they thought. <laughs> and I'm so glad it was completely differently to how they thought. I'm so glad it wasn't that way, and it was the way that he did it, because the way he did it was so much better. Wouldn't you say? It was so much better. Just a few days later, these exact same people shouting crucify him because they they had a change of opinion they realized they realized but it wasn't a true realization they realized he's not the one he's not who we thought he was kill him so they made these two mistakes mistake number one they mistook something that was going on physically they mistook the physical for the real, instead of seeing that the Lord was up to something much more real, something deeper, and something better. There was a greater reality going on, and they didn't see it. 
so they misunderstood something that God was actually doing. And mistake number two, they declared him their king, but when they didn't like how their king was acting, they stopped following him. In other words, he was only their king if he did what they wanted him to do. Now what type of a king is that? What type of a king is a king that only does what you want him to do, and then he's not your king anymore? Well, that's not a king at all. That's a puppet. But no, a king is a king. A king is, what, a king is someone who does what he is going to do. He is the leader. And if he was really their king, they would have followed him no matter what. So they mistook what he was trying to do. They didn't understand it. And then they, changed, they, gave, they gave up on him because he wasn't their king because he didn't do what they wanted him to do. I want to go back to Psalm 118. And I, when I was reading this and getting ready for this, I was quite shocked to discover what was in Psalm 118, just the verses before the verses that they were singing in the procession. And I guess when they were singing in the procession, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they never thought to consider what the three verses before it in that psalm actually said. A lot of the people back then would have known the psalms off by heart. They would have, you know, Jewish people were in the habit of memorising scripture. So they would have known the psalms. And the psalms and a lot of the scriptures... Um, you know, sometimes we get a verse that we lift it out of the Bible and we, we have our verse that we memorise. But when you go back and look at that verse in the middle of a whole chapter, it can sometimes have a different kind of meaning in light of the whole entire thing. So if you just get one verse out of certain parts of the Bible, it can have a completely opposite meaning to when you see it in the whole chapter that it belongs to. So here, here they're singing you know, Psalm 118, but if they had just had a little light about the couple of verses before what they were actually singing. So we're now going to go back to Psalm 118 and we're going to read, instead of from verse 25 on, we're going to read from verse 22 on to verse 26. And it's talking about Jesus. It says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in his eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. <laughs> Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us, from success. grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. They didn't realise that this Jesus that was riding in was the cornerstone. They didn't realise that he was the one that, that, that was rejected. They didn't realise that it was marvellous. They didn't realise that they were the ones rejecting, they didn't realise they were rejecting the very one that they were singing about and it was all right there in the same psalm that they were proclaiming. They, their eyes were closed. They just didn't see it. And a, a lot of times our eyes are closed too and there's things we just don't see as well. And um, I think that's why it's so important to trust the Lord with all your heart <laughs> because there are things we don't understand. But when we trust the Lord... He brings us through even when we don't understand. And so I think that was so wonderful about the 12 disciples is, is that they did trust the Lord 
even though it was weird. Some of the things they, were, they went through with Jesus were strange. And I remember there was a point prior to this where Jesus said to his 12 disciples, are you going to leave me too? Because everyone was leaving Jesus and they said, well, who else can we go to? You have the words of eternal life. They didn't understand some of the things he was saying or why he was saying them, but they decided to trust him. And so we must do that too. And um, so we, as it turns out, we make the same two mistakes so often in our own lives. We misunderstand the Lord. We sometimes think he's doing things and we're more looking at the physical when the Lord's often doing something much bigger and much greater. The second mistake we often make is that we, we don't really have him as our king. We only follow him because we want him to be a, the type of a king that does things for us that we want him to do. There are a lot of people like that, and we all are like that at times. And, um, but in the end, if Jesus is your king, he's going to lead you sometimes in places you think are strange, or sometimes you think are uh, not how he should be doing it. You know, sometimes you might say, God, why are you doing this? This isn't you, is it? You know, things aren't happening the way I thought they should be happening. And, um, but he has a bigger picture. He sees things that we don't see. And when we follow him, we come to see them the way he saw them much later on. Way back then, you know, a lot of those people, Jewish people, they were looking at the kingdom as a physical thing. They thought Jesus was going to deliver them like Moses delivered them. They thought Jesus was going to set up a kingdom like David set up a kingdom and defeat all their enemies. They were thinking of it very physically. And um, there are still a lot of people in the world, including us at times, who look at the things God's doing very physically. Now, there are people who think, for example, that, that Jesus is going to return and he's going to set up a throne on the earth. That's one thing people actually think he's going to do. They think he, there's going to be a third temple rebuilt again rather than seeing, no, we, we are the temple of the Lord and our lives are being built together right now. There are so many things like that where people are thinking physically but the Lord's doing it right now and doing it in a way better and a deeper way than what we can imagine. And in our own lives, personally, Lord wants to take us on a journey that's often different to what we think. And I've often um, asked the Lord the why question, not blaming God, um, but asking him why. <laughs> why are you doing this? I'm sure you're in it somewhere, but what's up? And um, I've seen plenty of things happen in life which didn't make sense, but you stick with the Lord. And you look back on them later and you say, now I see why. You know, we're going through, in, the, in our daily Bible videos, we're going through, well, I've been doing the book of Job. Job chapter 1 comes tomorrow to our YouTube channel, so we'll be starting Job chapter 1 tomorrow. But we've been going through the book of Job and um, lots of deep questions get asked in the book of Job about why. And there was, there's no better example of someone that trusted God when they didn't understand than Job. He, he would have to be the best example of it in the Bible of someone that did not understand but trusted God. And we could all learn a few lessons from Job. And, uh, but on, in Passion Week, <laughs> you've got millions of people that, that the minute it didn't make sense to them, crucify him. 
Well, let's not be like that. Let's love our God and trust him and let him be our king when he leads us the way we want and when he leads us the way we don't want. Because after all, that's what kings do. They do things the way they think is best and we have a king that can actually be trusted. We have a king with, with omniscience who knows all things. There's no one like that. There is no human being, no earthly leader that has omniscience. Our earthly leaders sometimes know things we don't know. I had a friend in Mount Morgan um, years ago that I encouraged to run for council. I knew that if he ran for mayor, he would make mayor. He was really popular. He was a local businessman. And I said to him, run for mayor. He didn't feel confident enough to be mayor of Mount Morgan, so he ran for council. And he was voted in by a huge, 92% of people voted him in as councillor. He would have made mayor easily. And I said to him later, you should have run for mayor. And he agreed, he should have, too late. But um, he, um, when he was running for um, councillor, he didn't make any promises. He said, I, I don't want to make the mistake of promising things and then not being able to fulfil them. It was fine for him because he was popular enough to just get in. But after he got in as councillor, he said, I am glad that I didn't make those promises because he said, I found out things now that I'm not privy to disclose that have changed his entire perspective as a leader. So there's, I guess there's things, I wouldn't know what they are, but I guess there's things once you get into government that you find out, things that are not public information. And, and you know, there's a certain, it's not omniscience, but you have a certain knowledge that will guide decisions that not everyone knows about. And so it's good when we have good leaders because we can trust them. We know they know some things we don't always know and we can trust them. But they're humans and sometimes they also make mistakes. But with the Lord, now we've got a God that's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows things we don't know. But he's also all loving. He's all, he also makes decisions in the best interests of every person, in the best interests of the world and the nations and the church and the gospel. And he calls us to follow him. And so we are called to lay down our cloaks foot of Christ and proclaim him our king and follow him and not <laughs> change our mind because we can trust him even when he might take our lives on a path that we weren't expecting because we know he, he has good in store for us. So I guess the Palm Sunday message is to say, you know what, Christ is our king. He's our king regardless of where the good happens regardless of where the bad happens, and we're called to receive him as Lord of our lives and not take, not take back our word on that. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus had a sombre somber observation, and he said that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So I guess there's a lot of people in church who say, Lord, Lord, or King, King, but not all of them will make it into heaven. So it's easy to call him Lord. And I find myself in prayer saying, oh, dear Lord. And I'm always referring to him as Lord. So I know I'm one of those people that call him Lord, Lord. But I do not want to be one of those ones where it's just title only. 
And so I want my heart to be soft and open. And I, I do know that there's times where I've realised, oh, I didn't do what the Lord wanted. And it's a horrible thought to realise that we all do that at times. And I say, Lord, forgive me, because I'm really no different to that million or so pilgrims in Jerusalem. You may not realise that, but we, we are all those pilgrims. And so we come to the Lord, I guess, this morning, at the start of Passion Week or the start of Holy Week, to remind ourselves that we need him and we need humble hearts, we need trust, we need his grace to be faithful and um, it's a time to surrender our knees and our hearts to him afresh. I'm going to ask Jacob to come and, and the band with him. We'll sing that song again, Lord I give you my heart and that's what we're going to do this morning. When we, when we give our hearts to the Lord to follow him, um, the giving of the heart is, you know, the heart is your desire. Um, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a mind thing only. Some people think that, you know, because it says in John 3.16, whoever believes will be saved. And they think of belief in terms of mind, what you believe, facts and figures. But in Romans 10, it says that whoever confesses him as Lord and believes in his heart will be saved. Following the Lord involves the mind, but it's a heart thing. We give our hearts to the Lord, and it's the heart that says, Lord, I want to follow you. It's our desire to follow him. And um, so that's what we're going to do again this morning, is we're going to give our hearts to the Lord afresh. Over the last few weeks, the Lord's been moving in the church and moving in people's lives, touching people in the heart. And um, it's so easy in the world that we live in for our heart to go after so many things because there are lots of things that are interesting and enticing and tempting and distracting. Um, but the Lord wants our hearts to go after him. And you know, on that, that Palm Sunday, all those years ago, people's hearts went after Jesus in the moment, but they weren't really going after Jesus himself. They were going after something they imagined in their mind was the Messiah. They were, they were going after the idea of liberation. They were going after the idea of a better life for me. You know, delivery from, deliverance from the Romans and liberation from taxes and, and a, a more comfortable life and, and autonomy from rule. And There were lots of things that their hearts were wanting that day that were really not about Jesus at all. And it's so easy to be like that. Just wanting a good pay packet and a comfy life and money in the bank and, and children that are happy and healthy and, and an assured future and no stress. And we want all of that. And so we, you know, sometimes we follow God for that. Just like those pilgrims, all those thousands of years, years ago, they thought that the Messiah was their key. He was their like meal ticket, you know, their opportunity to a better life. And um, ultimately the Lord does give us a better life, especially in eternity. But, you know, a king is a king after all. <laughs> and you, if he's your king, you've got to bow the knee and say, Lord, you're my king better life or not and um, 
I mean, we all do it on our marriage day. We say to our husband or our wives, we say for better or worse, and we all hope it's for better, but usually there are worses as well as betters. There's usually combinations of betters and worses as you go along. Uh, but overall, it's usually wonderful. And with the Lord, it's always wonderful. But it doesn't mean there aren't some betters and worses along the way. And he's the king no matter what. So we're going to give him our heart this morning. We're going to say, sorry, Lord, that I did at times follow you like the crowds because I thought you were my opportunity for a better life. But Lord, we just want you to be our Lord because you are. 